this is Erica Hiragami from Curator Love, and I am coming back to you via podcast after two years away. I know, I know, I took forever, but I mean, the universe fell apart in the meantime, right? The planet broke, and we acknowledged openly a lot of heartbreaking stuff. So, in the middle of all of that reshuffle, I, like you, took a minute to figure out who I am, what I needed to address to become a better person, and most importantly, my relationship to, well, everything, but capitalism and labor and I had to figure out a way to right be mindful of how I was wasting my energy and let me tell y'all it I'm hella different first and foremost I think that COVID made me a little bit of an introvert I was not thinking that was going to happen to me and for those of you who don't know before the pandemic me and my girls used to go hard like we would go to like 12 openings in a weekend and that was a project that did not service anyone. Um, <laughs> I don't do that anymore at all. Actually, I don't know that I love exhibition openings to begin with. Mostly because it's not about the work. And, you know, a good exhibition opening, actually, I shouldn't say I don't love them. I really appreciate some of them. I don't love most of them. Um, I went to Willem Camargo's opening two days ago, right? Tuesday. And for those of you who don't know, Willem Camargo is actually in our first series of podcast and he graduated right before the pandemic and he couldn't show his MFA thesis for two years. And it actually just happened last Tuesday. And I went to support because I was so looking forward to it two years ago and I was looking forward to it for two whole years especially as uh, an assortment of institutions paraded William around right because everyone went and got woke in the middle of the pandemic and everyone realized that they didn't have enough brown and black folks at the forefront of their organizations so they logically hired a bunch of people to you know um, make face is what I'm gonna call it and he had a kajillion like zooms in the past two years so i'm outrageously familiar with the series that he did for his um mfa thesis and the reason why i'm talking about this is because it turned into a pachanga like it was flat out you know in the past two years we couldn't go to bautizos we couldn't go to quinceañeras we couldn't go to bodas mindfully i didn't go to many of those before but that is who we are as a people and for two years right brown joy kind of like paused And this opening was everything. There's a DJ. We were dancing cumbias. The old friends came out. The new friends came out. The cool people came out. And, you know, just like in every boda or in every quinceañera or in every bautizo, there's like, you know, the people who are dancing over there having all the fun, a.k.a. the brown folk. And then in the outside, there's the people who can't dance. Yeah, it looked a little pale on the outside at some point but I mean such is life some of us enjoy dancing and some of us don't allowed it's not for everyone but 
that's the kind of exhibit opening that I missed, right? And that's the kind of environment that I am all for when is your community and you're celebrating the achievements of your community in community that I'm all about. But what I meant by I don't like openings anymore is that I realized that before this, before now, it was just a ton of, um, let's call it um, white noise. And not because it served any particular race, but it was just, you know, openings at these white cubes be reasons to be seen at these white spaces. And they were hella performative. And there was all of these people who were trying to categorize you left and right. And I don't know about y'all, but I don't like to be categorized. Also, my positionality is so hella complex that you can't do it anyway. Why even try? But, you know... Oh, I'm going to keep on talking about Will. So during the pandemic, Will had the audacity to have an opening. (laughs) Yeah. And, you know, we go and we support him. We really, I really appreciate his practice. I think he's doing amazing stuff. Um, I think his photographs are spectacular. But he had an opening um, somewhere in Santa Ana in Grand something. Don't ask me. Somewhere in Santa Ana. Beautifully curated by Jennifer. That I do know. I don't know the name of the gallery. I just know people. Um, and right, we went to support back then when we were like still trying to be far apart. I remember that we couldn't even get close to each other to say, hey, there were no hugs. We were all a little scared, right? But here comes this Karen. And she somehow managed to put us all in a circle, all these brown, beautiful people. Actually, now there's also some white people who came to support Will. You know who you are. Um, And here she is, like, going around the circle, like, who are you and why should I know you? And I was like, wait. Like, it it hurt me, right? Because also, in the middle of the pandemic, like, I retreated to those who mattered most in my entire community be brown, right? So, right, my parents are logically brown. My siblings are logically brown. My closest friends are logically brown. And in as much contact as I was having to everyone else, at the core of the pandemic, I only saw brown folk. So here's this white lady, and like, let me just categorize you all in groups. And so I told one of my friends who has nothing to do with the art world to come with me that day. And he, you know, he shows up to support Will because he loves Will's photographs too. And we're in the middle of this and this Karen like asks him, who are you and why should I know you? And I was like, that's an awkward question, lady. But, you know, my friend super honestly is like, I'm not a part of the art world. So like, I'm not going to give you my CV. I don't have one that way, right? And this Karen flat out turns over and she's like, you know what? Let's move on to the next person. And I was like, lady, you be so dismissive. Like, that's hurtful. But, you know, at that moment, I acknowledged in a very impactful way what it means to have to perform for whiteness in white spaces. Like, I don't think I had had such a blatant example before, um, right, the pandemic. But also because... I was in an all-brown space for a really long time for the first time in my life because, I mean, who can say that their entire community is their people, right? Uh, Mindfully, we all have jobs. 
right? I mean, hello. And because I was like, you know, surrounded by all this joy and comfort and love on a constant basis where people didn't expect me to act a certain way and where people were just, you know, happy that I was alive. And here she comes and she's just like dismissing my friends and dissing people and categorizing us. And I was like, you know what? That's what the art world is. Like, that's the ugliness of the art world, right? The ugliness of the art world is a place in which brown folks have to be Latino if they want to be in the Latino um, exhibition. And they have to be Chicano if they want to be in the Chicano conversation. And they have to, you know, be undock if they want to be in an exhibition about migration. And like we tokenize brown people left and right. And I was like, you know what? I don't want to be a part of that anymore. And mindfully, I am still a huge art advocate and I am still going to support all of my brown peers but I've retreated from all of that showiness of the art world that demands that we all perform to the best of our white abilities inside of white spaces that benefit none of our agendas. And it's similar in black spaces, even though there's way more joy in black spaces for brown people. And I'm not saying that all brown people are, you know, there are black people within brown. I acknowledge that openly. And also, let me actually take a step back. I am, as a scholar, right, as a researcher, as a person who is doing their PhD, I've moved beyond Latinx and Chickenx because brown theory makes spaces for blackness and makes spaces for Asianism. And as you all know, I'm half Asian, half um, Mexican. I'm half Japanese, half Mexican. So I'm a hapa, but also, right, like I, I need to unpack Asianism within um, brown so I'm moving beyond those binaries to make space for everyone else that doesn't fit in. And I acknowledge that Latinx is a beautiful project and Chicanx and, right, I'm a Spanish speaker, so Chicane, Latine, I get all of that. But brown theory to me speaks more, which is why I, right, utilize brown more than any other um, word to define who we are as people and as a community. Uh, But ultimately, I think that in the art world, right, I've been a part of the creative industries for about a decade now, and I love my job because I get to play with my friends all the time. And, you know, my friends are brilliant individuals who are doing these beautiful things. And I love that, you know, on a constant basis, I get to see incredible amounts of beauty in these spectacular ways in which you know I'm always in awe and fascinated about the things that people are doing especially in my community but as I was thinking through all of this during the pandemic I had to like I came up with some harsh realizations that you know we all did um there's all of these spaces that are created with all of these projects and we don't fit into these projects Right. As a brown curator, as a formerly undocked curator, like what does it mean to work in the arts industry if no one is even talking about undocumentedness, which mindfully I'm doing in my Ph.D. now and in various projects across the country. So it's not that no one is doing it. It's just that I didn't see it when I was looking for it. Right. So now I'm doing it. Um, yeah. Homework. But aside from that. I I had to take a really 
honest look at the art world because it consumes my time, right? I work in it. I work around it. I mean, I'm a researcher who does art. My PhD is about art. I'm a curator. I work with artists. Like, I had to take a really close look at the art world that I am a part of to figure out if that's something that I wanted to keep around me because for two years, it stopped. And I'm not saying it stopped completely, right? We all shifted slightly to figure out how to digitally convey beauty and hats off to all the artists who figured out ways to continue to allow us to see beauty in the middle of all of that brokenness. But a lot of things came up for me in these past two years, which is why I've kind of not been as public as I was before. And I will never be that public ever again, just heads up. But a lot of the things that came up for me were very simply, my community isn't taken as seriously as every other community in the arts industry. And my community being, right, brown, being immigrant, being undock, being Latinx, being chickenx, whatever you want to call it. And because we don't have, I'm not going to say we don't have the resources because the resources are out there, but they're not directed towards us. So I was thinking of super simple stuff like, right, an artist does an exhibition and the museum has an agenda. We have brown museums, that's great. Um, we have brown artists, that's great. Um, but then it gets written about in publications we have a handful of brown critics. Shout out to Carolina Miranda for having LA, you know, brown people in LA and doing so much for our community. And there's a handful of other ones. I'm not, I mean, there's a handful of um, people who are working for Hyperallergic who are doing great things, right? But there's, there's one person in um, Art News, there's one person in Art Forum. I'm not saying we don't have them, but at the same time that I'm thinking through these resources, I have to acknowledge that in Los Angeles, we're nearly the majority of the people. So what does it mean that we have one art critic in, you know, the L.A. proper, let's call it 10, right? Let's say a handful of them. What does it mean that there's, I don't know, millions and millions and millions of people, and brown people, and... There's an, a chunk of them are creative driven and there's a handful of people writing about what we do. That to me seemed like a concern. And that's not the only concern I came across, right? There was everything and the pandemic showed us so much from museums who were tokenizing brown projects to white curators who were pretending that they knew what they were talking about when they were doing these projects on the border who had no context on the border. And don't even get me started on this white gaze, especially with the border right now. I met an artist a couple of weeks ago whose name I will not name, mostly because I already forgot it. But he's looking at the border with this clinical way of gazing. And it seems like he's putting undocked people and in like petri dishes to examine them through photography and i'm just like that's hurtful bro but you know it keeps happening so in the middle of me thinking the art world broke 
It's on a pause. I can't play with it. I was like, okay, what am I looking forward to when it comes back? And I wasn't looking forward to all the problems. I wasn't looking forward to the bureaucracy. I wasn't looking forward to the museums who were like, no, we don't represent Latinx art. I wasn't looking forward to the giant foundations who were like, we only allocate 10% of our foundational money to Latinx projects. I wasn't looking to any of that. I was looking forward to being with my community and celebrating brown joy and right thinking about aesthetic theory with my friends who so happen to be brilliant brown people. And... I don't know that I want to continue thinking about being a part of the art universe if not through building the art universe that I want to see for my community, which is where hopefully this season of the podcast moves us forward to. I think there's no no brown critique in any serious like realm, right? Sometimes um, for the blue chip artists, you get five different critics talking about one thing and they're all like talking to each other. And then there's like L.A. Time feuds, New York Times feuds, pick your art, like magazine um, newspaper. And we don't have that for Latinx artists. Sometimes, you know, we get written about like in teeny tiny little blogs and that excites artists and like that's not enough. So I also thought about labor so being an artist is labor even though no one talks about it and artists work and they make a living off of their art mindfully not a lot of artists can make a living off of just their studios but that's also something not a lot of people unpack i as a part of the brown community in the united states have a very complicated relationship to labor right (laughs) let us not forget that i'm an immigrant and that on its own, it's a completely other situation. Because what do we know of immigrants who come into this country? They come here to be our labor force. And it's no different for their creative industries. We have an obscene amount of creatives, brown creatives, black creatives, right? Who don't make a living off of, who can't sustain themselves off of having a single job in the art creative industries like you see artists having to teach and having a studio and having to do their sales and having to manage their studio and having to be accountants at the end of the year and having to do marketing and advertising and like they're required to do 53 jobs to maintain you know an artist practice and how sustainable is that but also how are we demanding that they do so much labor for us and not even find ways to sustain them within the creative industries. And like, net, let's not pretend that this isn't a multi-billion dollar industry a year. So it can be done. It's just not happening for everyone. Which are things that I was thinking about during the pandemic, right? So on the one hand, I was like, okay, I'm going to get back to a podcast. I really love making this podcast. And I should be talking about issues from, from my community. But also, I should be celebrating my community, Right. And I should be talking about how great their stuff is. Mindfully artwork, mindfully creative projects. And I, I'm very looking forward to spending time, you know, speaking to the achievements of brown creatives, brown artists in particular, 
Which isn't to say that I won't go out and celebrate a curatorial project by a brown curator who does something amazing and will not discuss about it or critique it, right? If someone needs to be called in, people will be called in. If I need to be called in, call me in. I'm all about it. And also, last season I got called out a couple of times, which makes me a better person. I am here for it. Um, so I want this space to be more than... You know, just me ranting onto a microphone. I want it to be informational. I want it to be discussional. I want it to be a place where we can acknowledge, right? Brown joy and docu joy, immigrant joy, Latinx joy, chickenx joy. Um, but also a place where we can start thinking about what needs to change in the art world so that we can have a space in it. That isn't just, you know, a percentage of a field that allows us to be sustainable, that allows us to be, you know, whatever our projects um, want to be that allows for that to exist within it. And, you know, I'm not trying to be salty or anything, but some people are getting away with some ridiculous multi-million dollar projects that you're just like, really... If we had those kinds of budgets, our life would be hella different. And I don't mean one or two individuals. I mean, there's a ton of community-driven projects in the art world. And you see this with brown folk all over the place where we come up with an idea and it's not just an idea that's going to make, you know, the individual money. Because let us not pretend that we obey by the individualistic rules of society. And I'm not saying all brown folk, because there are some brown folk out in the art universe who are trying to be the brown Jeff Coons, and more power to them for having that type of, you know, violent energy. But that ain't for everyone. Like, that's a very problematic project. That ain't for everyone. So, right, there are some projects. Like, I was listening to... My friend Joel from Mitzli Projects. Mitzli? It's Mitzli something. I can't remember if it's projects. But he was telling me, talking to me about a project that he did where a bunch of artists got together with, you know, some street vendors and they created like T-shirts and all these things to like help support their economies because at the end of the day, we're all in this together. And I thought, how fascinating, right? Here's Joel telling me, street vendors are also a part of the creative industries. And like, it blew my mind. I was like, wait, how have I never thought of this? But yeah, we're one community of creative peoples. We just don't all possess the same talents. So what I'm here to do with this podcast, this season, and I'm going to go ahead and say that the season is going to just keep going for a bit, right, at this moment, as opposed to last season, which was kind of more, here's the structure that we want in this episode. I want to believe that this is going to be more long-term than the season one at the moment. Um, this season is going to be more about focusing on, again, celebrating brown joy, calling in brown people who are doing, like, things they should not be doing and you know discussing latinx aesthetics in a way that people want to hear them and i'll explain what i mean so i logically have a bunch of girlfriends who keep me sane thank god for them 
And I was talking to, as, as, as we all do, right? We go to lectures, we go to openings, we go to check out exhibitions. And at the end, there's usually a bunch of chisme, flat out. You leave the exhibition space and like, you start taking it down, right? Like, oh my God, what did you think of this? Oh my God, that was... And, you know, it's everything in the range from that artist needs to figure out how to stop saying pues to, you know, this artist needs to like get more comfortable talking about immigration because in his work he acknowledges it, but in the talk he didn't say it. And that's like, you know, a missed opportunity to, you know, the ridiculous stuff like holy mother of who did the lighting in that exhibition, right? So it goes in ranges, but some of my girlfriends um, are awesome about we go to a space, we see it, and then art chisme happens right after, which is so great, right? Because it usually happens over some tacos or something. So like, who doesn't love some good art chisme, which is what I'm all about as of recently, art chisme. And I will explain that I am taking my cues from the beautiful influencer Soy Nalgona because he's saying that chisme is strategic and he did this in like a video last week I want to say like a reel one of his reels where he was saying we're all about the chisme but the chisme is how we like share knowledge how we strategically convey stuff to one another so I am all about my art chisme and thank you for that um but as I was talking to my girls right about art chisme it come it came to us that we don't have that. We have cheese me all the time because everyone has cheese me. But there's no art cheese me. Not for our community, not by our community. And definitely not in a way in which it's authentic and you know unscripted, but also doesn't have like some bizarre agenda. Which isn't to say this isn't a project, right? Obviously. Like I'm doing this, but also I have a professional practice and this is a part of my professional practice, which by the way, a ton of people are calling social practice and I don't know how I feel about yet, but we will unpack that in a later episode. So as you know, me and my girlfriends are talking about how we need cheese and I will thank them out loud, Lydia, Monica, Sofia, like thank you for leading me down this path. Um, we were talking about how we need to be able to ourselves acknowledge when we make mistakes and call ourselves in and critique ourselves in ways in which it's profound and important and regenerative as opposed to just, you know, blatant hatred, which is not the goal of this. I really, I wouldn't want that this to turn into that, which isn't to say it might not happen. Humans are very unique that way but overall I want to create a place in which I can talk to you all about the stuff that like I'm seeing and I'm loving and I'm hating and I'm appreciating and ask questions right because I can't possibly have all the knowledge of the planet and let's be honest the one thing I know is that I don't know anything so I want to you know have this conversation with all of y'all where I'm telling you here's what I saw here's what I witnessed here's my life um but also here's what this points to here's why this matters right and let us not forget that I'm doing my PhD so 
for those of you who don't know, and this might be a bunch of you, and I'm sorry I didn't do this like at the beginning of the podcast, but by day, I'm a curator. By night, mostly I'm a curator um, because I like working at night. I'm a night owl. But I'm also a profe at UCLA in the chicken X department. Mindfully, I'm also a profe in the art history department at SMC, but that's my day job. Both of those are my day job. My my PhD is um, on undocumentedness. So for my PhD, I'm thinking through a new conceptual vocabulary of how to discuss migration from within art. So the classes that I teach at UCLA have to do with migration, right? In the Chicken X department, I'm teaching about policy going back 100 years. And each week, my students get to learn about a new Latinx artist and tie it back to the policies. So, right, like, how does Urca and the problems that began um, in the 60s, like, convey the introduction to the conversation that, say, Patrick Martinez is having with his um, neons, right? Or Will, or, you know, all these people. So... At UCLA, in the chicken eggs department, it's migration through art. And in the labor department, it's labor through art. Because I teach in a lot of different right spaces. And I don't have a full class load, which is why I have time to, like, you know, do podcasts and curate and publish and all these other things. But ultimately, as a researcher, I'm unpacking it. I'm unpacking undocumentedness through art. As a profe, I'm thinking through migration in Latinx art. As even, right, as a profe in the art history department at SMC, I think about art history and how Latino art history hasn't been a part of the art history canon. That's a much more traditional program. So I do conclude, like, all of my classes in Latinx art this semester in particular my artists are ending with William Camargo which is why right I've been having a lot of William Camargo in my mind is what I'm saying because I love his practice and those photographs are amazing and if you don't know him go google it you won't for like you won't regret it it's that good but also right I got this fellowship from Arts from LA last year that enabled me to do interviews with undoc creatives so I learned a ton about what it means to be brown and to be an immigrant and to be undocumented within the past two years. And it broke my heart. And because the universe was falling apart and we were all anxious and, you know, we all realized we were fluffed marshmallows, I kind of had to figure out how I wanted to continue to make this actionable right I can't just go for six years of my life having my heart broken every day every time I talk to someone in my community and not do anything about it it politicizes you to hear the horrible stories of the people who work in art industry and I mean everything I heard from some people who work on galleries and the back end of the galleries where the gallerists are like I'm gonna call ice on you and for those of you who don't know ice is like the people who what is it immigrant and customs enforcement so people who do deportations and so there's other stuff right like migrating into the united states like i don't know there i we had to unpack a lot of rape trauma we had to unpack 
deportation trauma we had to unpack like there was a lot that was being unpacked in all of my interviews that I did with a bunch of people in the creative industries and so I learned a lot of ugliness and at the end of that like I'm very thankful that Arts for LA allowed me to create a report about this so that right people can understand the kind of research that I've been partaking in but also it's not going to end here, right? My research is LA County long and my goal is to not just do California, but like I want statistical analysis for how many undocumented creatives we potentially have in the entire country because what does it mean to be undocumented and be creative? But aside from that, right, I care a lot about issues of migration, partly because I'm an immigrant, but also partly because no two immigration stories are alike. And a huge chunk of the politicization of brown people has to do with migration and belonging and existing and having to perform on a constant basis, right? One of the things I unpack within my PhD is what it means to have to perform citizenship. Because it's one thing to be white passing. It's another thing And mindfully, I just learned that there's Mexican passing, so I'm still kind of like figuring these things out. But it's an entire different ballgame that you have to pretend to be a citizen because, well, what does that mean, right? We know what whiteness looks like, but what does citizenship look like? So all of these issues are things that I'm thinking through as I'm going out in the art world and seeing beautiful things to do with the Latino community, to do with the Latinx community, with the brown community, with the chickenx community. And I wanted to make the space a more cohesive place where I can bring in all of this knowledge and where I can unpack some of it and I can think through some of it, not by myself, because how good is it if you do anything by yourself, right? That's one of the superpowers of the brown community, We build in community and we thrive in community, which is, you know, not that different from a cup, like a lot of other BIPOC folk. But I feel like somewhere in between my need for art chisme, my, you know, my being an immigrant and trying to figure out how that is always like in juxtaposition to the creative industries and the art world and just how to exist in a society that is constantly asking you to perform whiteness. This is going to be a really cool season for this podcast. (laughs) Yeah, I think sometimes it'll lean towards critique. Sometimes it will be a lot of celebration of really cool projects. And right other times, I'm pretty sure we're going to continue to just be unapologetically brown and figure out what that means in the aesthetic realm that is the art world because let us not forget that that is the place that I work and play at. So as a brown curator, as an immigrant, right, as a scholar, I'm constantly thinking through these things and I think it would be wonderful to do this in a community of people, which I do to a certain extent with my girls and right with these artists that I encounter all the time and with my projects But also, that's a disservice to our community. These conversations need to happen out loud. I'm not saying I'm the only one having them. I'm just saying I might be the one to put it in audio podcast form, right? 
I was thinking about writing and I was like, maybe I just need to like put this in some type of written form and approach one of the, you know, newspapers or something about having this be more of a constant, right? Because I'm a PhD scholar, which means I know how to write to some extent. I mean, the jury's out on that. I'm also ESL. So one of my biggest issues um, is that I think in Spanish and I write in Spanish and well, you know, it's not as cutthroat as the English vernacular so my professors are always telling me that I need to condense which you know is a completely other life form considering that most of what I write is in Spanglish it's in English with hints of Spanish or in Spanish with hints of English and there's always no somewhere along the way so right that's another thing that I need to think through but also while I was thinking about the written form I was like cool like We'll push it in one of these, like, you know, awesome spaces, like, say, a hyperallergic. And none of us have time to read that every day or all the time or constantly, which isn't to say that's not a great resource for stuff. I love hyperallergic. The articles are bomb. But also, because I kept thinking that the brown community has this different relationship to labor, and I was legit thinking of, like, you know, when I walk when I walk to my job, my job being a UCLA professor, I put on my headphones, I listen to a podcast, I go to class. By the time I get there, I learn something new. I was like, well, maybe, right, these artists who have day jobs will benefit from hearing me instead of having to read me on their commute. Or, you know, our viejitos who don't want to, like, acknowledge the new forms of communication not everyone tweets y'all i know it's crazy i barely do but also you know i'm old enough to acknowledge that i don't tiktok so this isn't gonna be a real and i'm also not gonna be doing dancey stuff on the interweb so that you all can see me critique some brown stuff um or hear me in this um, capacity but i think there's something to also hearing someone speak about art because it's important to talk about art, right? But the art world divorces us from these objects. So I, I constantly think about art back home. So I, I was born in Guadalajara and I grew up in Guadalajara. Like I bounced back and forth. I'm what's called a transnational child. I did a lot of traveling as a baby. Um, but... I mean, when I say home, right, I think of Guadalajara, but I think of Guadalajara in that when I was growing up, like my grandfather and I would stop to see a museum on my way to class, right? Like in middle school and also folk arts and the arts in general in Mexico don't live hyper separated from society you don't need to be rich. You don't need to pay so much money. You don't need to, you know, pretend you're obnoxiously and obscenely brilliant to go and enjoy a painting. But also, right, completely different projects um, in Mexico. And I'm not saying this is for everyone. And I get that I'm privileged enough to have a museum on the way to class every day and for my grandfather to be all like yo we're leaving a couple of minutes early so that you can go and look at a painting before you walk into class this morning this afternoon I always did the late shift but you know what I mean I'm used to my art being my everyday 
I'm used to me talking to my people about what I see and how it relates to my life. And in this country, things are so different. Museums are so far removed from who you are as a person. And galleries are impossible spaces that no one feels comfortable with in. And I'm not saying all galleries, but we have all felt uncomfortable at a gallery because it's it's too quiet or the gallerist is looking at you funny. Don't get me started on how I've been invited to galleries, right? As a curator, right? As a person in the art world, I'm often invited for private previews or whatever. And they're like, come over. And then when I'm there, it's just some white lady in the corner staring at me like, I don't know. I'm I'm a mannequin inside of one of those vitrines at the Smithsonian. It's weird. So, and this is, you know, I, I've been a part of this industry for 10 years and I still find it weird. So what I mean to say is that I'm not, I don't appreciate the way in which we handle museums here in which a family of four needs to spend nearly as much to go to LACMA as they do to go to Disneyland. Like, no, that's not okay. Um, I don't like that art reviews and art magazines are so expensive, right? Like in our community, I don't want to say we're all not thriving because there are some Latinos who are thriving, but in the brown community, we can't afford a subscription to a magazine that's a couple hundred dollars a year. Like that's not, it's that or, you know, eating for a week. So these things are things that I find problematic, mostly because I come from a place in which things are really different. And I don't, also want to idealize how things are in Mexico because there are a lot of problems in the art scene in Mexico. But there's also a lot of really cool things that happen there that I wish happened here. Like for a couple of years, a couple of years ago is what I'm going to say. But for a while there, you could, as an artist, pay your taxes in art in Mexico. Where are we in this developed nation with that? Like, I want my artists to pay their taxes in art. But, you know, programs leave. What I'm saying is I I miss and I remember and it was a part of who I am and why I love the art world so much that it was a part of my everyday life. I could be having breakfast and, you know, be discussing the new mural that was coming up at like my local historic organization or again, I could stop by an institution on the way to class or right. Galleries were just things you did while you were getting coffee. You went out with your friends and you were like, oh, cool, let's have, you know, a chocolate or a tejuino or what have you. And the gallery was on the corner. Sure, let's stop by. It's already here. It's not so far removed from here where there are these pristine spaces of wonder where you're expected to behave a certain way, which also, I don't want to say we're a bola de malcriados, but I don't want people telling me how I have to behave. And that's another thing that bothers me. In museums in Mexico, and this maybe happens to me in Mexico because I'm stupidly comfortable at home, but there's dancing and there's running and there's laying on the floor to look at art in the ceiling and there's nine billion possibilities, which is kind of why I was so excited last um, Tuesday at William's um, exhibition because there was a DJ and we were all dancing, right? And that's, to me, more comforting than a white space that's really ridiculously quiet where there's 
one person staring at you the whole time you're there because let us not forget they've been there for eight hours and they're hella bored and i'm not judging anyone you all do your job to your the best of your beliefs but i have also like come across some amazing gallerists most of them like um women of color shout out to the team at shulamit nasarian because boy do they make coming into a gallery fun um but seriously you come in and it's hella welcoming and people are, you know, excited to talk about the work and it doesn't feel like, you know, it's uncomfortable to walk in there. So in the midst of figuring all these things out and remembering the joys that I had as a kid in the art world, mindfully a different art world than this one, but also in trying to think of what I want for my community and how we communicate and just being mindful of the ways in which we need information it occurred to me that it would be a great idea to have a podcast season two where I critique art and talk about my amazing Latinx friends and invite some people to come and talk to me about these things and share brown joy and discuss brown joy in all of its glory which again and not to harp on on how you all need to figure out who William Camargo is but the reason why I was so excited at his exhibition wasn't just because there was dancing mindfully that was a really cool part of it um especially like Salvador de la Torre and Vida dancing hello things I live for in my life um but beyond that Will's photographs are these tiny little still lives that give you a glimpse into brown living in a way in which it's just beautiful and you see like this ridiculous amount of like honor and beauty in every day like the mundane of every day right there's this picture of his it says like really beautiful pink picture that was in the exhibition that's his mom's tocador or his i don't know somebody in his like that he went to photograph i don't think it's his family actually but it's, you know, it's got a Virgen de Guadalupe, like, chueca on the wall. And then there's some, like, bolsas del mandado. And there's, like, a rosary. And there's obviously, like, el Sagrado Corazón de Jesús. And there's all of this, like, beauty in all of this stuff that makes up brown existence. I don't know. I think I have seen that photograph, like, hours out of my life right and I don't think I'm done seeing it but also how wonderful is it that we have contemporary photographers who are looking at what it's like to live in contemporary brown society and elevate that to the zenith of you know contemporary art and again you need to go check out his stuff his artwork his photographs Mindfully, he's also doing interventions and he's very politically driven. So I know he's got a couple of podcasts, not just in season one of this one, but I know he did another one recently. And there's a couple of Zooms out there with his stuff. So go and support Will because his work is truly spectacular. But that's what you can expect from this season's podcast. Me talking about brown joy, me pinpointing to problems in the art world me just you know thinking through latinx existence and chickenx existence and brown existence within the creative industries and what it means to just 
be and how there's all 9 billion expectations, right, to wanting to be a part of this project. But also, I have to acknowledge that it is very privileging to be a part of the creative industries. And you know what? That's one thing I hear often. And I hear this from Latino artists a lot and a couple of chicken X artists where they keep on saying, I'm just lucky to be in the art world. Hell no. Like, all respect and power to every single one of you who has ever told me that. But you're not lucky. You work your ass off to be a part of the art world. Like, I see you, right, every waking minute of the day, thinking through your paintings, your photographs, your sculptures, talking to all of the people, going to all of the lectures, showing up to the exhibit openings, networking, figuring out how to do your own sales because there's no teams of people that are selling all of the really cool artwork that I like and being your own manager and doing your taxes. There's so much labor that goes into you thriving. This isn't luck. This is you making a space for yourself and you know, I'm glad to see you thriving. And you know who you are who have told me this because if you're hearing this, you're like, damn, she's gonna call me in right now. And I'm not. I love your work. But also just acknowledge that it's a lot of effort that you're bringing into this space. And it's a lot of work. And thank you for that because I get to see it and talk to my students about it. And you won't even believe how empowered they are when they see brown art. So Thank you for making my job easier, but also just thank you for being creative in such a problematic industry. But hopefully, right, in the next couple of episodes, we'll get to unpack a little bit of what that is and create knowledge together. And if y'all feel like I need to tackle something that I'm not thinking about, or if y'all would like me to think through something out loud, DM me, email me, text me whatever. There's 9 billion ways to get a hold of me in every single social media except for TikTok because I'm old enough to have aged out of that. It's curator love. So find it, get a hold of me. Let's make knowledge together in community. And if you ever stumble across me in the art universe, say hey. I love talking to people about all of these issues because that is the only way I know how to make knowledge. Until then, have a fun rest of your day. Go and enjoy doing whatever it is you enjoy doing. And don't forget to nap, maybe. I mean, if you're listening to this, you're probably like a workaholic who has a crazy relationship to capitalism. I know because I do too. And we all need to figure out how to self-care, especially as we have to continue to battle existing in the art world. So that's what's to come this season, y'all. I look forward to sharing space with you, even if it's auditory, digital airwave type of space. (laughs) Talk to you soon.